Welcome to Growth Island, your go-to podcast on how to be the best version of yourself. Now, let's join your host, Mess Freeze, as he interviews high performers and experts in nutrition, meditation, exercise, relationships, business, general health, and life's bigger mysteries. Thank you so much for tuning in to Growth Island again. Today, I have a guest on that I've wanted to talk to for ages. He was one of the first people that I learned about when I started looking into functional medicine and biohacking. Actually, before I learned about biohacking, a friend who was one of the guys that I respect the most about health, he was like, it's just one guy you got to look into. This is the guy. He is creating miracles. Well, actually not miracles because he do it again and again on people's health. He's also, some would say, one of the fathers of functional medicine in Denmark. And the ones that listened to the episodes before know that functional medicine is something I found very important and it's changing so many lives. That's why I have so many guests on the episode. I just had Ulrich the other day and, and uh, Dr. Eva yeah. Maria as well. So uh, this guy as well has uh, done this TV program for um, Can You Eat Your Way to Health, From Sick to Health. And many people will say it's miracle after miracle, people that have been giving up by the system with different diseases. And then after... Not too long, he changes these people's lives around and get them back to a normal life. So I'm, I'm very, very honored to have uh, Umaro Kedagogan on the on the podcast today. Umaro, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, and uh, thank you for that introduction. And um, and yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it is miracles, but in some ways, it's not. It's uh, it's it's more about letting the human body do what it sometimes can do even from a state of severe disease or dysfunction um you know and and finding the keys to unlocking that potential by tweaking people's diet and their lifestyle and their nutritional status and stress and sleep and so forth um, because we are damn resilient as you know as, as a biological organism um, and that means that's not always, but quite often, the human body actually can do way more than we expect. Just as you can see people who can perform these incredible feats, you know, in terms of athletes who can do things we think aren't possible. Or if you look at people like Steve Ovelsverinsen or Wim Hof, who can do these crazy things with breath holding, cold exposure, and which, you know, if you look at the physiology book, should, they shouldn't be able to do any of that, but they can. So they start from the point of health and they do something really fantastic, but if you, if, if you have someone who's healthy, you can sort of make their body take that journey. Or if you look at any super elite athlete, you know, or physical performer, why shouldn't it be possible that if you can do this, have the same kind of change, just with different starting points, if the starting point is disease, sickness, dysfunction, why shouldn't it be possible at least some of the time that you can get yourself back to health and, and sort of make a change in your physiology that's the equivalent of what you see some of these people doing? Um, so it's not, I mean, it, it feels miraculous if it happens to you or it happens to someone, uh, but 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 there is a logic behind what can make that possible. But of course, without ever being able to make 100% promises for anything. Of course. And you started doing this with yourself. That's how you got really Yeah, I did. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, my background is uh, that at the age of 18, and this is back in 1995 and born in 1977, um, and I came back to Denmark after having spent quite a few years abroad because my parents were stationed in the Far East and I lived there for a while on my own, 18 years old. And 
uh, came back to Denmark to have a sabbatical year to make some money, just take a break from school. And at that time, I was quite a good basketball player. So I also wanted to explore if maybe I could make the Danish national team play with some of the top teams. And also quite close to getting a career as a musician going. Um, but th that never happened because I came really ill. So before uh, we got to the summer of 96, um, I developed autoimmune, uh, several autoimmune diseases. So I developed an inflammatory bowel disease. Uh, I also developed reactive arthritis. Then I started getting these inflammatory reactions in my nervous system um, that ultimately were diagnosed as atypical multiple sclerosis because the symptoms fitted, fitted multiple sclerosis and in scans, we could see that there were lesions in my nervous system, both my central nervous system and my peripheral nervous system. But all of my blood work and also when they did a spinal tap, that was all negative. So it's like, it's, it's, it's kind of multiple sclerosis by symptoms, by what we can see visually on scans, but you're seronegative, like your blood work shows nothing, but we'll call it atypical multiple sclerosis. So I had, you know, like my balance was totally off. Um, and it was really strange because my the right side of my body was affected way more than the left side of my body. So everything felt I was standing on a ship in rough seas, but the right side would be if like the, the waves were quite double the amplitude of the left side. And then also had a reduction of strength in the right side of my body. It was literally like someone had drawn a line it split me in half. Hmm. And I had hypersensitivity both to sound, um, noise, I mean, um, smells, touch visual as well so I, I actually wore sunglasses even in, indoor for quite a few years because any bright light was painful as hell and still with my right side more affected and then my liver also started uh, shutting down i lost over 40 kilograms within two years so i went from about 100 kilograms and i'm 187 size 47 feet uh, no feet always been quite muscular it's like down at 57 kilograms at one point wow. and i also would have, you know, also kind of fit either a diagnosis of um, of um, fibromyalgia because I had pain all over, not just in my gut region, not just in my, the liver region, not just in the joints that were affected or these neuropathic pains, but also had a strange muscular pain uh, and, and 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 just tissue pain all over. And I would also, you know, in some ways, it probably also fit a diagnosis of chronic fatigue syndrome because, of course, I was just dead tired and. Within the Danish national healthcare system, no one really knew what to do. And this is, I mean, this, because I'm not, it's not about complaining about things, because we're back in the mid 90s, not that many medications were available. And the doctors who, you know, were treating me and diagnosing, well, you know, medication we have for this disease probably will backfire with the other diagnosis you have. And then the medication we have here is no good because your liver's not doing well. So we'd rather not treat you because we're worried that the side effects will be worse than. The disease itself. Um, so I had several rounds where I'd get into the hospital, go from neurology department, gastrointestinal, rheumatology, and so forth, uh, and and you know then I'd be discharged again until and because of course these diseases wax and wane. So when I had really bad periods, I'd go back in the hospital. And right around my twentieth birthday, so that's ninety-seven, I remember being sitting there with this whole team of doctors and this okay, you know, come back if you feel worse, then we'll do something. But we're worried that you know. You might get get even worse from it, but now we're at a point where then we'll dare do that. And I thought, okay, that's not really any good because next time I'll enter in an ambulance and leave in a coffin. And at that moment, it dawned on me, okay, I have to do something on my own. And then what's really interesting here is that I've actually been avidly into food and biology and living organisms from a very early age. You know, so 
as a, not just as a child, but as a toddler, like I'd be in the kitchen. I demanded my parents' food as a toddler before I had language or teeth. Uh, I tried to make an omelet before I turned three, but my parents could hear what was happening in the kitchen and they stopped me before mm-hmm. I burned down the house. And as a little kid, I was like, you know, totally crazy into nature and living organisms. So I forced everyone to read any book about nature and biology and ecosystems, whatever allowed to me. I tried dissecting dead field mice in my grandfather's uh, tool shed, uh, you know, just with a switchblade. Uh, and of course, it's made a massive mess. And when I lived in Beijing and Hong Kong from 1989 until 1995, I actually started enough biology and biochemistry on my own, on top of what I had to do in school. So at the age of 18, back in 95, I'd covered probably close to the equivalent of a bachelor in human biology or biochemistry. So I had all this theoretical knowledge and then you know, there it dawned on me, okay, one thing is you can either sort of eat and live in a healthy way or not be very healthy. Um, you know, broccoli is obviously healthier than Mars bars or any other chocolate bar. Water and green tea is obviously healthier than any fizzy drink with lots of sugar. Uh, but there must be something beyond that, you know. And 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 until that point, I had for most purposes been quite healthy because really lead as an elite athlete, I was really into cooking good food, healthy food, biology, and so forth. But there dawned me, there must be something more. Maybe you can literally turn food and nutrition into medicine. And that's when I embarked upon that journey. Unfortunately, I had a lot of theoretical knowledge from my just own interest, which, you know, it's, you know I'm, I'm, in some ways, I don't, I'm not, I'm very sort of atheist, not really, you know, religion, things like that. Not that I have a problem with it, but that's not me. But then again, it's kind of interesting that I have this burning interest in food and in living organisms from before I had, you know, before I could speak. And that gave me the tools when I then happened to be in that situation uh, in my late teens and my early 20s, where I actually had the theoretical knowledge and had the first pieces of the puzzle that I could put together and start my own journey back towards health. So then with that knowledge, I, I literally started seeing like little pictures or cartoons of my physiology and biology and saying, okay, inflammatory bowel disease, uh, gut mucosa, inflamed, increased permeability, maybe what nutrients might affect that, you know, probably has something to do with the bacteria in my gut. How can I quantify those? How can I modify them, modulate them? Um, and then, of course, I, 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 you know, consulted all these experts, doctors, uh, nutritionists, um, and so forth, both, you know, in Denmark, abroad, both within the conventional healthcare system outside. And, also, you got a lot of their knowledge, and little by little, I started getting, you know, putting together the pieces and sort of figured out the puzzle as to how I could literally use nutrition, lifestyle, food, dietary changes, and at times also medicine very judiciously. Because once I sort of figured out all the biochemistry, then I knew, okay, I can do this without getting in trouble over here, and to sort of get this mechanism back in place. And so I literally. Yeah, got, got literally cured myself. Or, I mean, today you can debate whether I'm cured or I'm in remission, but I don't have any symptoms, really. I mean, I have this uh, little finger here. The utmost joint is still kind of crooked because there's scar tissue from the reactive arthritis I had. And I have a few issues with my peripheral vision and balance left over from the atypical multiple sclerosis or neurological inflammation, whatever you want to call it. And that means I'm not, I, I, I don't want to play lead basketball because launching 100 kilograms, 75 centimeters into the air, looking all sorts of directions and kind of being off balance, it, it hurts to land. But otherwise, there, I don't really have, you know, nothing, there's nothing more 
that I can feel uh, or any other symptoms I have. Um, and so so I literally stumbled upon functional medicine. And I, I guess he didn't know the name at that time. But then um, at some point, I, um, I met um, Chris Moore uh, and his wife. And, and they were also some of the very early people with the test, some of the type of lab work you do in functional medicine. And, and then they said, you know, there's this thing called the Institute for Functional Medicine. And then I just looked at the web page. And then I attended several of the conferences and it's like, baby i'm home this is you know and so that's that's literally how i've ended up working this area so i haven't taken this sort of typical path become a doctor or nutritionist or human physiologist but i have you know plenty of theoretical knowledge and a lot of clinical knowledge and i've done a lot of further education so these days i mean i have a clinic where i see people one-to-one people who are really ill and would like to become better or at least get better control of their disease i see elite athletes who would like to enhance their performance and recovery by other means than EPO and steroids and growth hormone and all sorts of other funny things. I mean, I know all the stuff that's being done and I understand the biochemistry behind it, but I'd rather have people on beetroot juice and broccoli kale smoothies and uh, ginger turmeric shots and things like that, even if they might be a bit slower. Um, so, and, and I also have a lot of people who are kind of high performance, whether that's in, you know, in sort of in, in business or in culture and music as well. Um, then I've written a lot of books about health, all of them in Danish so far, but that might be remedied this year. The first one probably come out in English. And I have done this TV program on Danish national TV called Kemen's Pieces of Ask, which literally can you can, can food be your diet? And uh, we did two, we've done two seasons so far. And it's actually it's quite similar to the BBC shows, their doctor in the house. Uh, with a Rankan Chatterjee, it kind of, hmm. must have been sort of parallel evolution because, um, I mean, we were, I didn't know anything about that. And then as we aired, it's like, oh, there's this show on the BBC. And I've spoken to Rankin as well and met him through people from the Institute for Functional Medicine and somewhere from mutual acquaintance in the, in the UK. And because I do that, I have, I run several, I have an educational program for people who want to get started working with their health or other people's health uh, and also experienced health practitioners. And also, do a lot of research, so I'm part of four research collaborate, you know, groups that look into nutrition and diet for various health issues. Um, and usually I do a lot of lecturing, but yeah. these days it's all digital because we're not allowed to meet in person. But let's jump into some yeah, of so the that's how I got here. Yeah. Because you as as well, like you're having all these clients and you also teach a lot of people to do what you're doing, you've done on the TV program and yeah. how you changed so many lives. So um, I think exactly. it'd be super interesting to talk about like a framework to look at your health if you have yeah. different challenges and what initiative yeah. to, to do and and starting with the point of vitiligo. Um, if someone... yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, because yeah, so we use vitiligo as, a, as, a, as an example, but you know, the frameworks, I mean, the, the, the first framework, what I think is for any health issue you have is that... And just to start before we jump in, so just to say, vita- <laughs> um, I don't pronounce it probably, vitiligo. Vitiligo. Yeah, it's a depigmentation disease. So it's like people will get these spots where their skin will be all all white, like, you know, uh, so it'll, it'll, there will be no pigmentation whatsoever. And there's definitely an autoimmune component to it. Uh, so something with the immune system mistakenly attacking. So it's not as severe as psoriasis or rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah, but but it is uh, like there's uh, what's there's. A really famous supermodel. I think her name is Harlow something. She's British, right? She's uh, 
black, if you're allowed to say that yeah. these days. But he obviously and and he has you know the pigmentation. Um, we had Michael Jackson as well, right? The most he, he might have had it. He might have had it. But the question is whether that was due to skin treatments and other things, or whether you know it was sort of from inside out. So. So, but I mean, I think that, that whether we were, whether it's a like or anything, I mean, the first thing I think we need to consider is if people have their foundational health in place. So there are these basic things that also the things we kind of know that increase or decrease your risk of getting cardiovascular disease and so forth. And they're really important to get in, in order before you start looking at specifics. So, you know, are you generally eating a healthy diet or not? That, that you know, that on its own uh, will, make, will make a difference. And usually people say, well, Omar, what is a healthy diet? The, the first place I start is, well, you could use what's called the tea plate. So if you imagine you have a plate and you put a tea on top of it, right? Then everything above the tea, which will literally be half the plate, should be vegetables, bears, and fruits. So I'm a big advocate of a plant-based diet, not saying plant-based exclusively, but that the foundation happens to be vegetables, bears, and fruits, and plant foods. And then there could be all sorts of variation, uh, but just start with getting that, at least half of what you eat should, ought to be vegetables, bears, and fruits. Um, and if you notice the, the order I'm saying, vegetables and bears before fruits, if you want to start sort of, you know, ranking things. Um, and then you have, to, so you have, then you have two quarters left on either side of the tea. So one quarter should be healthy sources of protein and healthy sources of fat. And the last quarter should be healthy sources of, you know, relatively starchy foods. So it could be like potatoes, not potato chips uh, or no. French fries uh, or freedom fries, whatever you call them, depending on which part of the world you're in. Um, you know, brown rice, black rice, red rice, wild rice, whole grain pasta, whole grain bread, oats and so forth. And yes, then, you know, there are all these things. Maybe some people don't want gluten and things like that. But but that now we're talking foundational health. So the tea yeah. plate is a really easy place to start. Are you actually getting plenty? And because it's all, all, all real food. It's all, not all these hyper-processed things. So that, I think, needs to get in place before we tweak other things. And yeah. then and just you mild, smoke. So just going yeah. into that. So potatoes, white potatoes, that mm -hmm. has had a bad rip lately. You don't think that's a, yeah. that's a problem to eat like normal potatoes when you boil hey, for, them or pasta? For general health, no. There might be people who, for specific health purposes, need to leave out gluten, or who need to leave, leave out the uh, nightshade vegetables and potatoes happen to be part of that. But I think we have to, when we look at foundational health, we have to get away from all this vilification and all saying these things are bad. I think it's a, both in terms of what's really true biochemically or you know, nutritionally, but also in terms of how you inspire people, motivate people. I think it's way better to start by talking about what it's good to do. You know, So mm -hmm. rather than saying, this is bad, you shouldn't do this, this is wrong, this will kill you. You know, that, that's kind of the wrong focus. It's way better yeah. to say, okay, make sure you get plenty of vegetables, berries, and fruits. Make sure you get enough protein from healthy sources, get healthy fats. The starchy foods, you, they happen to be from real food. Um, you know, and, and that, I think, you know, in general, we're talking about that's way more important than all these little things, you know, uh, because otherwise people, people, they get lost with things where the effect size is about this. Yeah. And then they forget to deal with the things that make this sort of difference in your health. Um, so, you know, so, so, so yeah, you shouldn't eat loads of French fries or potato chips or no. baked potatoes that happen to be buried under a mountain of uh, cracked bacon, poor ham and something they claim happens to be cheddar. I'd say it's 
milk solids and industrial waste, food industrial waste, right? That that's going to kill you, but that's not the potato. That's because mm-hmm. it's crappy, overprocessed foods without any nutrients. So why so, I mean, is it that so some for, people so, are after the potato? Like why has it gotten a bad well, rep if you eat a proper potato? Well, I mean, it's it's because people make these inferences that if you eat a lot of refined starchy foods, then you're in trouble. That's true. If you eat a lot of refined starchy foods, you get. But you know, because there are these. You know, the potato. The first time the potato sort of came under attack was already back in the 1980s and 1990s, because there were studies out of the U.S. showing that people who had, who ate a lot of potato, or rather, ate a lot of potato-based foods. You know, the devil's in the detail. That was pretty much the equivalent of. Uh, guzzling down liquid sugar, but if you then looked at those studies, uh, you know, uh, and and not I don't want to offend anyone, but we look across the board in the U.S. Usually, what when when you look at people's dietary habits, if they consume potatoes, what they're really consuming happens to be chips, French fries, and these baked potatoes in the fast food setting. But then, is the potato the problem, or is it that it's part of a really unhealthy eating pattern? You know. So you know, so you get these. You know, also dairy products have been vilified as like they're the source of all devilishness in the world, because you do have studies where people in industrial societies who have a high consumption of dairy products sometimes that can be associated with health problems. But then look at what people are eating. Okay, so they're eating slices of uh, fast food pizza with something on top they claim is cheddar. They're having fruit yogurt that happens to contain more sugar than fruit. You know. What's you know uh, so 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 there are these these some of these things have been vilified also the notion that if you eat any animal foods then you're dead before you finish you know your first mouthful. Yeah, sure, we can see population studies where people who have a high consumption of animal-based foods in a modern industrial society with a modern eating pattern that's associated. But but then what are they eating? They're eating mm. bacon, cheap ham, uh, cheap sausages, uh, you know. Whereas, if you were to look and look at sort of proper meat consumption, not as fast food and not all these hyperprocessed foods, you can't see that association. So I think, for the you know, when we do this framework, first like let's look at people have people eat real food and get the basic proportions right, mm. you know, and then and then and if you smoke, you have to find a way to quit. And I'm not saying that to be so you know, I've never been a smoker. And, and I'm not saying this with any sort of judgment or saying, oh, here I'm on my my high moral house or horse, but it just it costs too much in terms of health. You know, like probably one of the worst things still going on worldwide: smoking kills way pe- way more people than pretty much any other single factor. And, and if you were to look at something like the Delagos, well, smoking is an issue. It's not just cardiovascular disease and cancer uh, that you get from it. And then obviously alcohol: how much you're drinking? Yeah, too much. For many people, probably. So, if you're going to have alcohol, it's one serving a day at the very most, from a health perspective, and a serving is not a big <laughs> this <glass>. size, <laughs> or, uh, or a bottle. And you can't sort of say, "Well, I'll just put it all together." So, if I have all my seven servings on Friday, then that works. That that would be the equivalent of saying, "I don't want to drink water from Monday until Saturday, and then I'm going to try to drink 14 or 21 liters of water on Sunday." and See how that works. And for some people, if you, for for quite a few people, that maybe the only safe option is to have no alcohol, you know, for health purposes. So that, and then look at are people moving? Are they physically active? Are they using their body on a daily basis? Because that has such a plethora of effects on health. Are they getting enough sleep? Seven eight hours of quality sleep. And what about stress levels? Are they in place? 
and then also looked at people's body composition. Um, and not because I'm a stickler and think everyone should be a six pack, but you know, if people move not to overweight, but if they get to the point of obesity, then we know that that type of body, that amount of body fat, especially if it's all sort of centrally placed, so it's belly fat and intra-abdominal, it's just, it, it causes molecular chaos because when you have fat, um, you know, one, one of my heroes when it comes to research on obesity and and, and where, when overweight and obesity is a problem, now, there's a Danish researcher, Jens Lund, um, and he says, you know, you have some fat cells that are really highly competent, they're educated, they know what to do with the excess energy, so that's not going to cause too much trouble. And then you have certain spots or areas where you can deposit fat, but it's goddamn amateurs, they don't know what they're doing, so when they get loaded, you just get in trouble. So when you start getting fat, visceral fat, in you know, intra-abdominal fat around your organs, or in a worst case scenario, in your liver or in your um, pancreas, then hell is loose because those fat cells, or if you have fat in those organs, then it kind of sends out a signal of war. So you get all these inflammatory reactions. So those intra-abdominal fat cells, or if your liver or your pancreas are full of fat, they literally send out the same signals that your immune system is going to send out when it goes to war against bacteria, virus, cancer cells, and so forth. So your body goes into kind of a state of high alert or a state of emergency, and then things start, just start breaking down. And if there's something inflammatory going on, and you have, you know, some of that visceral fat, or you you have you you, you have some fatty deposits in your liver or your pancreas, it just it's not, it's amplified massively. You know, it just it becomes way worse. So so for starters, to have people look at that and say, okay, we need to get you sort of squared away roughly in these areas. And that's what we did in the, in the TV program. And then once we have that in place, say, okay, now there are two specific questions we need to answer. Is there anything that needs to go? Because for you, in your case, with your biochemistry, your background, your medical history and so forth, that might be the trigger or the propagator. So it's either something that triggered the situation, led to it, or it sort of keeps you there or prevent something else from working, getting out of there? And then are there things that need to be added, be that food, nutrients, uh, gut bacteria, herbs, uh, meditation, you know, whatever, you know. So like you have to figure out those two questions. What needs to go? Because it's actually for you individually, uh, apart from what you might find population statistics happens to be an issue and what needs to be added. So if we were to say, okay, so for vitiligo, what things might be an issue? Um, here well for some people gluten is an issue so i'm not saying that gluten is the sole cause of vitiligo but if you have vitiligo i suggest you do a trial of gluten-free gluten-free diet irregardless of what your blood work says i mean because with blood work you can certainly pick up celiac disease which is like the classical type of gluten sensitivity or allergy with a high genetic component but you'll have people who still have issues with gluten but they're not celiacs and Sometimes you can pick that up in other blood work if you do look at other things than tissue transglutaminase antibodies and deaminated gliadin, uh, IgA and IgD. I know that's a bit of nerd talk, but that, that like those are the three tests used in blood work to pick out celiac disease. But you can, some, there are other power markers you can measure, but sometimes you have people where, regardless of what markers you measure, you find nothing, but still they take away gluten and their autoimmune problem improves. So again, you know, the, 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 I think the approach is, 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 might this make sense biologically? And then go about it in a sort of, sort of curious and systematic manner. So, so you might want to see if, if gluten needs to go. 
uh, and you could also try dairy products. So and, those two and things. How, so how long would uh, without gluten? One, how long without dairy? I mean, it, I, normally I'd say a month, but because of the tilago, it takes longer. You you probably want to do a three month trial to see if if there's a if there's a, a difference there, and if that works, then you can consider if there are other foods that need to go as well. So you can also consider doing, uh, since vitiligo is, there's an autoimmune component, you could consider doing a full autoimmune protocol, uh, the AIP diet, which is kind of like a, should we say, a super strict paleo or, or a super strict hunter-gatherer diet where you not only remove, I mean, you remove all grains, whether they contain gluten or not, you remove all dairy products, you remove all industrially processed products, you take away all legumes, so lentils, chickpeas, beans, uh, edamame, tofu. You take away all nightshade vegetables, so potatoes, not sweet potatoes, but you know, sort of normal potatoes. Uh, you take out tomatoes, you take out the uh, eggplant, you take out peppers, so uh, red peppers, green peppers, yellow peppers, orange peppers, chili, uh, cayenne pepper, paprika, and so forth. Uh, and you also take, you take out all nuts and seeds, and eggs uh, so it, it does leave you on a somewhat limited diet and then you do that for one or two months and see if your symptoms get better and i'm not i don't think that i haven't seen any studies on the aip diet from vitiligo but it's been there have been small pilot trials and, and open label trials or sort of kind of not fully blinded trials because that's impossible to do on quite a lot of autoimmune problems where you see a difference uh, so it's been done for autoimmune thyroiditis, Hashimoto's, it's been done for psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis, uh, inflammatory bowel disease. I think it's also been done for ankylosing spondylitis, uh, which is kind of autoimmune arthritic disease that attacks the lower part of your back and your hip and your uh, sacrum, um, and also for, 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 for reactive arthritis. So that could all, because is that something that needs to go? So you could, you know, do that. Uh, and it is quite involved, but you might, you know, learn something and as far as i can see from the trials for other autoimmune diseases that have been done uh, when people do the aip diet about 50 percent respond so they get better some get completely cured not all of them and then you then you reintroduce all these major groups of foods you've eliminated and see what triggers symptoms um and again but because it's a LIGO sometimes is it, it's a slower acting disease you might need to spend more time you know so can't just reintroduce a food group every week or every two weeks. You might need to be slower with things. Um, so that's it. And then, of course, if you're stressed, okay, then the stress needs to go. You need to figure out how to de-stress, right? You know, um, and and you could also potentially maybe have an issue with um, strange gut bacteria because we know there are a lot of correlation between what lives down there. I mean, mm. that's like a wild zoo down there you have one and a half, two kilograms of microbes. You have bacteria, you have archaea that are kind of these old pre, pre-bacteria uh, types. Uh, you have uh, vira, you have uh, yeast uh, and fungi, you have um, parasites as well. Uh, and, you know, there, it, it, one thing is whether you have an infection or not. So one thing is if you have salmonella or campylobacter or pathogenic E. coli, but even if they're absent, there are plenty of plenty of strange things that can live down there and cause havoc, not just with your digestion, but also 
that will trigger your immune system because the biggest day-to-day impact on your immune system happens to be what passes through your digestive tract. One and a half, two kilograms of microbes that obviously will get the attention of the immune system because like potentially if they breach the barrier, you, you will be overrun. Uh, you have food passing through, so that's plenty of foreign molecules as well um, that are, you know, that, that are in, in play. And, and so if something goes wrong down there, if the microbes down there become sort of a bit unfriendly or too dodgy in the way they behave, also if your the surface of your gut lining is not in, in doing very well, that can contribute to immune activation, not just locally in your digestive system, but also cause problems elsewhere. Um, so you might also want to see, you know, consider you want to run a stool test and see who lives down there, what, how they're acting and uh, whether there's something that needs to go. Um, because you know, there's a big impact. And I know there's, there's one case, one of my big, uh, one of my gurus is Sidney Baker. He's like a grand, great grandfather in functional medicine. And he had a case of it like he actually cured by feeding someone with parasites, which would say that's crazy. But there are some bar- parasites that are benign that actually inter- in, interact with your immune system through your gut. So they t- calm down your immune system in your gut to in order not to be kicked out by your immune system, but that will also quench immune reactions elsewhere. So there's one case, and, and there are these studies where, also medical studies, where certain parasites that won't get into your body and cause havoc, but will kind of speak to your immune system through your gut and say, whoa, easy now, not just down there, but also out here. And so, so there's actually one documented, medically documented case of vitiligo being, can't remember, cured completely, but at least greatly improved by having someone swallow certain parasites every three months uh, that didn't cause problems or migrate into their lungs or their brain. So, you know, so there are these things you need to consider. Do they have to go? Um, yeah. And it's not the same for everyone with vitiligo or any other autoimmune disorder, skin disorder, but it's, you know, um, you know, so they need to go. And then for vitiligo, like you get a long list of things that you might need to add um, because they might make a difference. So, um, so yeah. just just jumping in a while. So, so so what I hear is like the general framework. You start with a diet. You start with looking at a plate. You put the tea down that fills half of the plate. Yeah. On the top half of the plate is vegetables, berries, and then fruit yeah. in that order. Then yeah. you have the yeah. fats and you have the proteins on that one fourth. And then on the other side you have yeah. the something like pasta or it could be uh, potatoes. So kind of like yeah. help help. Healthy, yeah, good carbs, starchy foods that aren't super refined. So starchy foods that come like for, as real food, yeah, yeah, so you, yeah. You do that, and and you and you consider smoking and sleep, alcohol, physical activity, stress, yeah. um, and, and 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 body composition. Not because of any sort of you need to look aesthetically in any particular oh. way, but because at some then, point, if there's too much fat, then you that that messes up your whole biology. Yes. And then after that, you can look into, do you need to remove gluten? Do you need to remove dairy products? And if that still haven't done it, you would look into doing the elimination diet where you take a lot of foods out and slow introduction. And with this kind of disease, because the results are slower, you need a longer period. So you might want to do it for three months to actually see the results instead of just one month. Exactly. And then after that, that's where you say like, potentially look at the microbiome, do a stool test. That's where we can find a lot of stuff. There was the one one example with 
with someone that actually got parasized down. And then we get to the next point. Yeah. So I think this is a good framework for any kind of autoimmune scenes or yeah. any problems that you have, right? And then you move yeah. on to like, what can you add? And I think that was that was where you exactly. got to. And that's what I found some yeah, studies yeah. on as well with some different kind of light that might be useful for... Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a whole, like, there's a big... <laughs> A, a, a big plate of possibilities and so so certainly light exposure sometimes works um, because obviously light will stimulate melanin production what happens in vitiligos you'll have areas where you're not producing melanin which is the dark color pigment in your skin um so sunlight can work and 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 probably a bit like psoriasis where we know that also ultraviolet rays of course you don't want to get sunburned because then you increase your risk of skin cancer and and skin aging, but ultraviolet light also sometimes can quiet down inflammation or autoimmunity in the skin. So that's why people with psoriasis, sometimes then they get sun and their psoriasis calms down while they're getting sun exposure, or if they start using, you know, these infrared lamps uh, and arrays. So, so that's one possibility. Uh, and then also we can see from, from Vitiligo that um, sometimes people need to get either the amino acid phenylalanine or tyrosine because tyrosine is actually the building block for melanin so imagine you have someone who's low phenylalanine is converted into tyrosine and then tyrosine is used for many things it's used for making thyroid hormones for making dopamine and noradrenaline adrenaline but it can also be used in the production of melanin which is the dark color pigment in your skin so in some instances by giving people either phenylalanine or tyrosine and then giving, you know, sun exposure or ultra uh, UV exposure or infrared and, and ultraviolet exposure that helped cause repigmentation. So, I mean, another thing I also to screen for is, you know, are people eating enough protein? What's their digestion like? Might there be issues either on a low protein diet or say when I eat really protein rich foods, actually I get queasy or it feels like someone dropped you know, a massive a ton of bricks in my gut saying, okay, maybe you lack stomach acid, maybe you, you're, you need digestive enzymes, right? Um, or you could run an amino acid test. So you could actually do a, a finger stick or a, a urine test or a, a full plasma assay and see what are their amino acids like. And then if they happen to have life in low phenylalanine tyrosine, obviously you want to supplement that, but also go back and figure out why is it low? Is it because there's too little protein because they have malabsorption and sometimes even if people have perfect digestion of protein and they eat enough protein they can still have certain amino acids they just need more of because maybe something's going on where they used a damn lot of it so they get a shortage elsewhere so that that's that's definitely uh, something to consider for vitiligo yeah and um, you said and sun so i know a case where at least what they were told by the doctors is that so this young girl who was five years old turning six soon, she's so like she's not allowed to yeah. get like normal sun exposure or at least she needs like really heavy sunscreen on. Would you say that she would actually yeah. need just a little bit of light but not too much without sunscreen to get the the uh, we say the light uh, from the sun? She could, she, you, you, you can try a bit because of course the thing is in the spots where you have no pigment whatsoever, you're more likely to get sunburned. You're more likely also to get skin damage and skin cancer. So obviously, if you have it like you don't want to go heavy duty sunbathing because the white spots, you know, you might actually get really sunburned and you have a high risk of skin cancer in those areas. But you might want to get some sun exposure before you apply heavy sunscreen to see if the light can actually stimulate um, the synthesis of melanin. Um, and, you know, so we see that. And then we also see from studies that uh, 
There are certain nutrients that we know play a role either in skin integrity or in melanin production that sometimes are, uh, help. So we, there are studies showing that in general, people with vitiligo tend to have lower levels of zinc, copper, folate, which is vitamin B9 and vitamin B12. So you can either kind of try to supplement with those at reasonable doses, or you can test and see if they're low. And if they're low, especially then supplement and, of course, increase by food and see if that works. Because uh, zinc, we know, has, has a lot to do with skin integrity. Also, zinc is really important in re regulating inflammation and regulating autoimmunity. Copper uh, is necessary in the production of melanin. So if you're low on copper, well, then your ability to actually synthesize the, 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 the color pigment that is gone in areas where you have vitiligo, obviously going to be impaired uh, and folate B12 might play roles there as well. And the other thing also actually considers if people are iron deficient because iron plays a major role in, um, in, 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 in sort of making some of the precursors for melanin. So, um, so there are a couple of medical cases as well with people who were iron deficient. And you know, one of the things I'm beginning to see is that people have what I'd say sort of atypical iron deficiency. Because usually if, you have, if you're iron deficient, you're going to have uh, low hemoglobin and low erythrocytes, right? Uh, low hematocrit and things like that. And so usually sort of in conventional medical setting, people say, well, if you, if you're not, if you don't seem to be anemic, then you can't be low on iron. But I've seen patients who had not, who had perfect, you know, levels. If there, there was nothing that looked like anemia, but they were still super iron deficient. So you need to go and measure all the iron markers. So you need to measure ferritin, which is an iron marker, but, but it's not perfect. You need to measure plasma iron, the actual amount of iron, obviously the best iron marker for some strange reason, it's not measured that often, but that's way better. And then measure what's called transferrin and transferrin saturation. So I've seen clients who had, you know, like there was no sign of anemia, but the transferrin saturation was crap. Their plasma iron was low in the normal range or they were clinically low. Their ferritin might've been low as well um, because iron also plays a role in terms of being able to create melanin. So that, that obviously is, uh, it could also be of interest. And there also are, uh, you know, in terms, in, in general, because there's autoimmunity, you definitely want to look at things like vitamin D. You want to look at um, your omega-3-6 balance because in any sort of autoimmune disease, what you, one of the problems you have is that your immune system, obviously for a strange reason, has chosen to attack part of you. Um, so you want to decrease that inflammation. I mean, the, the fun thing, the immune system, most people think that the immune system's prime, primary role is to attack, is to find things and kill them. It's like the army, right? But really, the immune system's greatest role is to exhibit tolerance. Your immune system, it goes all over the place in the surfaces, so skin, mucous membranes, and also inside your body. And the white blood cells, they all go, hmm, oh, what's this? Yeah, I'm going to take a little bite or lick it, taste it, sniff it, or take a little sample and take it back to some of the lymph nodes and you know, speak to the general's uh, top brass and then see, okay, this is, this is, is this part of us or is it a stranger? So like, is it antigen or self? And then if it's antigen, you know, so it's strange, like, we're going to exhibit tolerance and say, hey, cool friend, let's hang out and have you know, some jasmine tea or you're a stranger, we're going to want to kill you. So part of what you need to do for any autoimmune dis disease is to see if you can do things to reestablish tolerance. So your immune system will stop attacking things that they might be foreign or strange, but that's not the same as you should attack them. And there, there's probably a politician or two out there who should be listening now and consider, you know, your mindset that 
you need to change the way you're acting. Um, does this because something is strange or not you or not your ethnic group or religious group, you know, doesn't mean that it's the enemy or you need to fight to death. So, 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 so to reestablish that tolerance and vitamin D is really important for that. Vitamin A is quite important for that. And, and it's also important for skin integrity in general. Zinc, I mentioned, is important for that. Um, and omega-3 fatty acids also play a major role in the ability to exhibit tolerance. And then beneficial gut bacteria. So, you know, actually adding uh, gut bacteria, they also, they play, they, they can really play a major role in, in being able to induce tolerance. Um, so, you know, so, so you need to look at all those things. And then also I've seen a couple of studies on ginkgo biloba, which, so the combination of ginkgo biloba and controlled light exposure or UV exposure. And, and, and again, these are small studies. So the skeptics would say, well, it's a single study and we need to replicate it. And, you know, there might've been all sorts of biases, true. But but still, it did work for some people, so you know you need to keep that in mind. So and ginkgo obviously does improve improves microcirculation um, and and uh, and has anti-inflammatory effects. So there might be something going on there as well. So you know, so so for vitiligo, you need to do that. So you, and 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 you need to figure out which one of those things are relevant for you. It's not necessarily all of them, um, but. You can be damn sure of one thing. If you don't try, if you don't explore, you, you're not, never going to find out if there's a pot of gold waiting for you at the end of the rainbow. Um, and, you know, and, it's, it's, and, and then sometimes when you start this sort of systematic approach, you say, okay, get foundational health in place. Consider if there are things that need to go, uh, whether they're also obviously like in general health, smoking will figure out what will motivate you? How can you break the habit? Or if you're super stressed, what can you do to get away from the stress? And then how can you add a routine where you de-stress on a you know regular uh, basis, on a daily basis or several times a day? And then you can start looking at these things that become individually specific. So it's not like gluten is the cause of every single case of vitiligo or autoimmune disease. And nor should we get to the point of saying gluten is bad, no one should eat it. Or like potatoes are bad, no one should eat them. But sure, if you have a problem with nightshade vegetables, then potatoes are not your friend. Mm. Uh, or obviously, like for, for the starchy foods, if you have type 2 diabetes, a pre-diabetes, a syndrome X, or certain other conditions where your ability to metabolize glucose and your carb handling is poor, then you want to cut them out. But that's different from saying everyone should you know, stay away from it. Like For me, what really worked was actually the autoimmune protocol. They, I, I didn't know the name of it, but I actually cut out all of those things and for five years pretty much lived off vegetables, berries, uh, fish, seafood, uh, game, poultry, meat of high quality, spices, uh, and I did have a few nuts and seeds and some eggs and that worked really well for me. Just because that worked for me doesn't mean that everyone else who has it, either any one of those autoimmune diseases that I've managed to get under control or the combination of them has to do the same. Um, I mean, I have clients that I help go vegan because that turns out to be what works for them. You know, so there's also, I think we need to have this curiosity and, and people need to become a religious when it comes to food and health, uh, not un, unambitious, but a religious as in there might be other paths than the one that worked for you. And how about, uh, and if you sort of, wow, how That's about what? sugar? That's another of the ones sure. that are often being yeah. talked about, right? Yeah, well, um, well I mean, it, 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 
like sugar on its own is just an energy source, right? Glucose can't be inherently bad. I mean, it is the preferred energy source of your brain and other things. But obviously, what the problem is that a lot of people eat way too much of it. And they, and you know, so there's, so that becomes an issue because then, you, you know, in terms of just appetite regulation, then you end up, you know, if you have all these high sugary foods, it's not very satiating. So you over, you flood yourself with calories um, that aren't really registered. So you overeat, that changes your body composition. You might push too hard in terms of blood sugar regulation. So you need to do have all these counter mechanisms in place to keep your blood sugar levels stable, but they cost, or at some point you lose control. Uh, you know, and obviously, if your blood sugar levels become elevated, that causes all sorts of damage and and havoc. And literally, what happens, and that's that's what you know that, that when your blood sugar level or glucose levels are elevated, you get uh, what's called glycosylation or glycation. And people say, okay, some sort of medical term. What the hell does that mean? But literally, what you have to think, okay, you're in your bloodstream. The more glucose and more sugar you get, in other words the more sticky it becomes. It's kind of like if you start dissolving sugar in water, uh, if you dissolve a lot of sugar in water, you get the sticky, you know, mixture. And that, that sugar will start sticking to things. It'll stick to the walls of your arteries. It'll stick to things that are in the bloodstream. And if you push too high levels into your cells, then they will start getting sort of sugar-coated. Mm. And then it literally burns. It oxidizes. So you literally get caramelized. Uh, you know, and obviously, if you think about that at a molecular level, if you're covered in caramel, you might think, ah, I'm going to lick that off. But no, no, right. I mean, like, that's going to be sticky and dysfunctional. And I mean, the medical term for these things that happen is they're called advanced glycosylation end products. So if you do mm -hmm. the abbreviation AGEH, they age you. Yeah. And then your white blood cells, they have receptors for them. So they, you know, so they are triggered by those things. And then, okay, receptor for an advanced glycosylation end product, R-A-G-E, rage, inflammation, chaos, mayhem, war, state of emergency. So sugar is not cyanide. It's not mercury. But a lot of people end up eating way too much, and then it causes havoc. Yeah. <clears throat> I interviewed an Sams who also spoke to that it depends on like how yeah. do you get the sugar? Are you getting refined sugar like white sugar or through candy? It's different how it interacts in your body. Or are you getting it through like food? Are you getting it through berries? Are you getting it through different things that kind of like yeah. the vehicle of, of getting the sugar to the body makes for her? And DC said like that's one of the main differences. Well, well it, it, it makes, I mean, the sugar is still the same, but it does make a difference because the amount and the speed changes totally. And also, when you get, you know, when you eat foods that naturally contain sugar, like berries or fruits, you get all these other accessory nutrients along with them. So you get, you know, fiber, you get vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals that enhance glucose disposal or protect against this kind of caramelization. So one way to, way to think of it is that, you know, you can go and you can buy like the assemble yourself furniture from Ikea. Pretty much everyone knows Ikea, right? So if you buy a bed or something, you have to assemble it on your own. Now, in a perfect situation, you'll go to Ikea, you know what you need, a bed or a cabinet or a desk, you buy it, you bring it home, or you order delivery at a point in time that you decide. That's kind of like, okay, you eat a banana, you get the sugar from there. So mm. because the whole package that's with it, your body gets something that it knows what's coming, it has the tools to deal with it, and it's prepared. But when you get all of the time, you get large amounts of this refined sugar that's been re removed from the original food. Then it's the equivalent of going to Ikea, 
you order something, but you don't know what you you got. So like you 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 put in an order, but you have no idea whether it's a bed or a cabinet or a desk, uh, and 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 no one gives a damn whether that's what you need or not. And you have no clue when it's delivered. So all of a sudden, half past three at night, Sunday, Sunday and Monday, you can hear someone knocking on your front door, and then they just drop all the components in one big pile, not in little bags and say, okay, here are the nuts and bolts for the outside of the cabinet and here are the nuts and bolts for the inside and the hinges. And the, everything's just dropped on your floor or in your driveway or in your doorway or on your stairwell. And there's no instruction manual. You have no clue how to assemble. It's like, here, there you go, deal with it. I mean, that's obviously going to be very different from, oh, here's your bed, here's hmm. your packaging. And that box contains the frame and that box contains uh, the lattice that you'll put the mattress upon and here's the guide on how to assemble it so what happens and not just with sugar but i mean that's one of the one of the problems we have in nowadays is that and, and you can see that clearly when people eat these hyper processed foods so when we over process foods and we kind of strip away too many things fiber plant chemicals and so forth and and the matrix like the structure these things exist in then you get in trouble um you know whether you're looking at sugar, whether you're looking at starchy foods, uh, you know, starch is not an issue. You have populations that eat massive amounts of starch, but they get them from tubers, they get them from root vegetables, and they're not having blood sugar problems or any issues, right? Um, or if you take fat, right, the moment you start like refining fat too much and you strip it out of something and overprocess it, something happens. There's like something's lost in the process. So there's like a greater whole thing that just goes out the window when we get these modern super industrialized foods and then you get in trouble um, for all sorts of reasons so so with sugar i mean i know the stats for denmark uh, they and they're probably better in some parts of the worst worse than others but if if we say and that's those like the public guidelines you allow no more than 10 percent of calories from added sugar which in my opinion is too much anyway uh, uh, but but let's just go by that and say so then i know in denmark one third of all grown-ups get more than 10% of their calories from added refined sugar. Two thirds of all kids get more than 10% of their calories from added refined sugar. And originally, if you look at the research when, they, when you do the large population studies, it should actually be 5%, but massive lobbying pushed it from 5% to 10%. I mean, so obviously there's an issue, um, but again, obviously if they say someone chooses to have a teaspoonful of sugar in their tea every morning and they don't do everything else, then sugar's not an issue, right? So mm. it's it kind of like we have to be, again, be careful not to vilify things, but that, yeah, the dose, but, 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 but just because something isn't an issue on its own doesn't mean that the way it's eaten or used mm. isn't, a, you know, isn't a problem. It's like smartphones are bloody brilliant, but a lot of people end up having them totally distract, you know, them or they get sidetracked and hoodwinked into other things instead. Um, so you have to be careful with what you do with them. Yeah, time is running fast tomorrow. So uh, a quick, yeah. super uh, fast fireside questions. So if you had to give um, yeah. to say, if this was a kid who has this disease, yeah. uh, a little girl who's actually moving, most kids yeah. move a lot more, uh, but running around with too yeah. much energy, and the mom is feeding her fairly healthy food. So then it's still going back yeah. to the list that you say, the framework and kind of for most autoimmune yeah. different diseases. And then it's trying to yeah. add these different things. What anything else that yeah, you so, would focus on yeah. for the kid? For that kid, well, I mean, you know, but, but no, I think that would be, I mean, those would be the things to say, okay, you might want to try a dairy gluten-free diet. Yeah. Uh, 
It's also um, a lot of stuff to you change. You might want to say it's a lot of stuff to change, but it, but when you change things, you could also think of it as an adventure. So what I tell yeah. people is, rather than say, oh, you can't eat this thing about it. Okay, there are all these other things you have to go and explore. It's like you, you're literally going on a culinary adventure, learning new things. Um, I love that. So do That's that a way of framing and, it. And then a good, strong, potent, broad-spectrum multivitamin mineral, uh, maybe a bit of extra zinc, some cod liver oil with vitamin A, with some uh, EPA and DHA, maybe some evening primrose oil or some hemp seed oil. Um, some probiotic bacteria might be a good idea. Um, and you could consider trying phenylalanine and tyrosine um, just off the bat. Also, if you're a kid, maybe you don't want to do blood draws, right? And, and obviously, if she has serious digestive problems, then you might want to run it, want to run a stool sample as well to see mm. what's going on there, um, you know, and 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 then and then see where that leads you. I mean, and we could do a sort of a third tier of other things you could consider, but I mean, the, I think there's enough to work with here, um, and and you know, for vitiligo. But again, it's the it's the same approach I use with, with every patient. It might be slightly different things we consider that need to be excluded or added depending on the disease and what we know generally about that situation or. If I know more about that person in you know their yeah. status, and obviously, like for the iron part, if you can't run an iron test on a kid, if she's not eating foods that contain iron, like liver or other uh, organ meats, or getting game or red meat regularly, maybe you want to run you know an iron supplement, an iron supplement as well, just to be safe and sound. Got it. Um, and then Umau, and, you're and then strong, and yeah, I've always been skinny. How do I yeah. gain more weight? Like I've looked at weight gainer and protein powder and so on. So like the quick question of like where to look, I can also add more stuff to my Wait. diet. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing is, are you strength training? And are you doing a serious program? Because training volume is like the starting point. If you're not strength training enough, then nothing's happening. And then obviously yeah, get enough protein. So I'd say get at least one and a half grams per kilogram of body weight. And if that's not enough, you might get, want to get up to two, two and a half grams from healthy sources. And if, are you eating a more vegan plant-based diet or are you omnivore or what's... Uh, so pescatarian, so like? fish, chicken, and a lot of veggies. Yeah. Um, considering veggies, getting into okay, red so meat again. You could, yeah, you, so you could, I mean, but you might, you could do something like find a high quality protein powder, say, sort of rice pea based protein at that and then obviously also we know creatine is like for for for, for adding lean mass that's uh, you know it's one of the best researched supplements and it's not just interest it's a great interest in sports nutrition but actually creatine has all sorts of other effects that are way more interesting outside of sports but but one of the you know for increasing strength and, and response to training uh, that that definitely is really important and then you want to make sure that you're not deficient in zinc magnesium or vitamin d because they will all impair your response to strength training and and then you might also you know if one strength training regimen doesn't work you might need to switch up because uh, you know some people respond better with many reps lower weights some people respond better in the mid-range some people respond better in the high range and then of course there's also just the question of might you genetically not be super disposed for putting on lean mass. So there's there's a genetic component as well um, that that plays a role. So there's a like the one ACTN3 uh, alpha actin N3 the gene for that you can add, that codes for type two muscle fiber. And those are the muscle 
type of muscle type that grow on a strong explosive. And obviously you have two copies of each gene, one from mom and one from dad, uh, or one from each parent. Um, and so you can have two coding variants, which will give you a greater response when you strength train and generally greater lean mass. You can have, that's a, you, know, you can be a, what's called a heterozygote. You have one coding and one non-coding, but you can also have in XX, you have two non-coding variants. And that means that you'll have way more type one muscle fiber um, and, and not very much type two. And even if you if you train a lot, then you're 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 not going to really respond that well with, um, with, with 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 increasing lean mass unless you go on steroids, which I wouldn't suggest. Oh, so it might also be that you're, yeah, that's not a good idea. So, no. so it might also be that you're just not super disposed to putting on lean mass, um, and then you know you can still train. It'll be good for health. It'll be good for functional mm. strength, um, but but you know that might be something that's going on as well. Got it. I will. Uh, I'll try that out. I know it helps when I was doing weight gainer earlier. That definitely uh, yeah. that gave some results. I just heard a lot of people again talking like things are getting demonized um, about like what is the good quality you're getting and not getting too much, and then see how your body actually reacts. So I was curious to hear your your take on that. Well, and and maybe and maybe you just need to up your protein or your energy intake a bit as well, so you get a few more calories. You need to be in a slight surplus to put on. Lean mass. That's hard when you eat so many veggies. It was much easier when I was uh, when I was having the half a kilo of meat a day, and uh, a bunch. Yeah, of exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, awesome. Last question. Oh, wow. Or oh, actually, two questions. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you had to give that, that's the question I always ask the the guest in the end. Yeah. One to three advice, final advice for the listeners about how to live this happy, healthy, and meaningful life. What would that be? Yeah. Okay. So. The first thing is I think you need purpose. You need to figure out why you're here, what you want to do, what's your purpose on this plan? Because that, you know, and if you don't have it, find out what's your mission here, what's, what's your, why you're here, because that gives you something to focus on. It gives you something, a way to contribute, which is really important, not just for your mental health, but we know that also means something for your physical health. And when people ask me, why should you be healthy? I'm not, I don't think you should be healthy because being healthy is good. I think you should be healthy because it allows you to do what you need to do in this world. It gives you energy. It gives you vitality. It gives you the resources to, it makes it easier to be happy and also gives you the resilience that when things are tough, you're more likely to pull through and come out on the other side. So, I mean, that I think is super important. And then I think you need to be physically active, move. So use your body. Our body is built with the presumption that you're moving every single day. So get out there, move on a daily basis. Um, it can be walking, it can be you know, uh, cycling or training, but make sure that you get at least half an hour of sort of foundational movement or more like walking, cycling, uh, and that you train anywhere from a couple of times to a week to every day, depending on who you are. And then when it comes to food, a simple way to get started, obviously there's the tea plate, but the other way, you know, which as I say, Think of food as information. So whenever you eat something or drink, what you put in your mouth, that's literally a dialogue. You're talking to yourself. Uh, so consider what message you're sending. And if you were to make things very binary or black or white, there are two types of messages you can send with the food. One of them is, hey, you're goddamn awesome. I love you. I'm going to push you a bit once in a while, but it's with love. And if you're a bit moody, I'll come and hug you and comfort you. And I think you're destined for greatness, right? And obviously, if you're spoken to in that way, that 
tends to, you know, you will do your damn best. The other way, and I apologize in advance for both gestures and words, is to say, up yours. Hmm. In which case, you know, usually you don't respond very well to that. So, so take the food you eat, look at it and consider, am I saying, woo, or, and what do you, th- how do you, what do you think your body will do in, in, in return? Because, you know, for, usually with that, people, that on its own is enough to get people thinking. So, I mean, I, often, you know, speaking of these smartphones, what I'll tell people is, okay, if you have one of these things where there's an iPhone or an Android or whatever, Try taking pictures of everything you eat or drink or that you're about to eat or drink for three days. And then at the end of each day, look at your little gallery of pictures and think, how many of those were? And how many of those were? And how do you think that applies to whether you feel that your body's friend or foe? Hmm. And usually people, they find lots of things that, okay, there are places, plenty of places for me to change and improve, do something different, stop doing stuff or adding more stuff. Um, because that's literally what food is. It's information. I will take that challenge on um, and take pictures for three days. I know just the act of doing that, of course, changes what you actually eat and what you put on the plate because you're conscious of it. But, uh, but it's a good exactly. exercise. Yeah. Fantastic, Umar. Umar, where can people find out more about you or if they want to work with you or like, for example, that you're teaching then, people yeah. how to learn some of the stuff that, yeah. that you know, right? So my Instagram handle is just Umaru, uh, U-M-A-H-R-O. I'll put that and in the show my, notes. Uh, yeah. And my uh, Facebook handle is uh, Umaru uh, as well, U-M-A-H-R-O. And then there's my website, which is just umaru.dk-U-M-A-H-R-O. Uh, There will be an international one because we're getting moved. I mean, I do stuff abroad and in English, like for with the lecturing and with um, some of the research and so forth. Uh, but I, 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 this year there will be, I'll be for, for the public start, things will start coming out. But you can still, you can find me if you want to consult with me, uh, depending, you know, I have plans from all the world. You can still find the email and the telephone number on my website. Um, so, yeah, uh, that'd be an And if you're in Denmark and you have access to uh, TV2, which is one of the big two national channels there, uh, web or app, then you can also go and see the episodes of the show. That so. would be a, a good start as well. If someone is still sitting that, out there be being good. skeptical, like he said a lot of complicated words, I would highly suggest if you're Danish, see the TV program, see the real results. Yeah. I think results speaks much louder than words. And that's one of the reasons why we really want to get you on, on the podcast because you're one of the people that have touched their lives and have the results to show it, right? Because it's it's hard to navigate this world of what they call alternative medicine or what else um, to actually see yeah. who provides the results and, and who are just really, really good people with the heart on the right place that have seen something work once yeah. and then think that's what changes. And and that's a hard jungle to navigate. Yeah. That's that's what I try to get the podcast as well to help pull some of those people that I've seen actually create these results. Yeah, and 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 just to add to that, I know we have to wrap up, but that's also why I said, really, the way to approach it is with the framework, rather than saying this diet worked for it for everyone, this nutrient works for everyone, or everyone's that condition. Ask yourself, you know, get foundational health in place, and then be curious and investigative with these two questions: what needs to go, or be reduced or limited, and what needs to be added, and keep on do multiple reiterations. I mean, it took me five years before I sort of figured out all the ins and outs in my own body, I learned each time. And there's still little things I learn uh, now. And it's 
decades later. No, but but if you have that approach, that's where you'll figure out more about you and what works for you and what doesn't. Well, thank you so much for uh, for sharing with uh, with me and our listeners and uh, how they can get this framework and, and some approaches. Uh, and I highly suggest anyone listening to go follow Mao. I'll put it in the show notes to different places. So whether you just want to learn from Instagram where Mao is sharing stuff for YouTube or whether you're interested in actually becoming a coach that can help people or just for yourself. I know you have some different online programs as well just to 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 get on. Then it's definitely a recommendation to to check out what's there. It's definitely for Danish and then hopefully we'll get more of a translate to English within the uh, not too long a period of hour. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Thank, Thank you again. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Island. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes on how to be the best version of yourself. And if you found this show helpful, then please leave us a review so more people will learn about the podcast or share with a friend who can benefit from it too. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.